Well, I want to welcome you to church today uh, in Mesa, at South Mountain, at Fountain Hills, at our chapel, and online. We got lots of church family gathering together today, uh, and we're excited to be in a series on prayer. And I hope that this uh, series is helping you to engage your Father in prayer in a new way, truly believing that He is good, He is kind, you're His child, and He cares about you. Growing up, we talked a lot about prayers of faith, but we didn't talk much about prayers of lament. But hardship is real, and it's a part of life, so today I do want to talk about prayers of lament. And I want to give a little bit of credit. I, I read a book called uh, Praying Life by Paul Miller, and so I draw a lot of cre- um, content from that. also have a good pastor friend named Josh Howerton in Dallas, and we share a lot of content, so I want to give him credit. So drew from that. But I pray that this will be a blessing to you today. Uh, so there's a story in a Florida newspaper. And you know every good story starts in a Florida newspaper, right? <laughs> this is actually a true story, you guys. Okay, so Florida newspaper tells a story about a guy who was working on his motorcycle on his patio. And he's testing the engine as he's tuning it. And he revs the engine. The motor slips into gear and takes off with him holding on to the handlebars, busts right into his living room. His wife runs in. There's motorcycle parts and oil and gas everywhere. Husband's laying there, blood everywhere. So she calls 911. Uh, The paramedics come, and to get to the house, they had to walk up a high set of stairs on a hill. And they take the guy on a stretcher, and they haul him off. So the wife is trying to kind of clean things up before she goes to the hospital to meet with her husband. So she just grabs like paper towels and toilet paper and she's not even really thinking. She just cleans up the gas and the oil and then she throws it all in the toilet and she runs off to be with her husband. Well, finally, they both get released and come home. The husband sees the mess, sees his ruined bike, despondent, and he goes and sits on the toilet and smokes a cigarette flicks the cigarette down beneath his legs, and kaboom! (laughs) Wife comes in again, sees pants on one side of the room, husband on the other side of the room, burns on his body, calls the paramedics again. The crew gets dispatched to come back to the house. Turns out it's the same crew. They load the guy up on the stretcher. They're taking him away, and when the wife tells them what happened, they start laughing so hard that they drop the guy. He rolls down the hill and breaks his arm. So you thought you were having a bad day. In Christianity, we think a lot about what happened on Friday when Jesus was crucified. And we also think a lot about what happened on Sunday when he rose again. But Saturday doesn't get a lot of playtime. Friday was a day of trauma, and Sunday was a day of glory. But Saturday was the painful in-between time of pain and suffering, waiting and mourning. Saturday is that child that's waiting to heaven to meet his father, but for now has to settle for pictures and movies and stories. Saturday is the empty seat at a family birthday party. Saturday is the pain in your body that doctors can't do anything about, and you know you'll get a new body someday, but for now it's pain and sleepless nights. Saturday is the sonogram of the baby that was never born. Saturday is the indentation on the other side of the couch or the mattress that'll never be filled because you lost a spouse. 
all of us are either coming from, in the middle of, or heading to a Saturday season. So you've got to learn how to pray through it if you want to make it through it. Here's what lamenting is. Lamenting is passionately expressing grief in the delay between trauma and triumph. And we lament to God in prayer, and it's something that not a lot of Christians really do, I think, or know how to do. A lot of religions don't allow uh, their followers. Even religious Christians don't really think that it's okay to, to be sad. And they'll tell you, like, don't be sad. Put on a happy face. But we know lamenting is important. It's passionately expressing grief and the delay between trauma and triumph. So I want to start out just reading you a, a psalm of lament. So you're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible with me real quick. Psalm uh, chapter 6, written by David, he says, O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, till you restore me? So he's waiting. You see that? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? He, he's saying, I can't worship you if you let me die here. I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. And now you can see it turns towards hope. He says, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. And I could read you a lot of, of psalms like this. You know, one-third of the psalms, the biggest book in the Bible, are psalms of lament like this. Prayers of lament are so powerful because you're praying about your past, present, and future all at the same time. You're coming to God in the midst of tragic circumstances, and you're pulling from his past promises. Well, God, you said, like a little kid going to nag her parents, like, you said, you said, you said I could have ice cream. You said, you're doing that to God. You're saying, God, you said you'd be good to your people. You said you would protect me. Well, here I am, and you have not come through, and I'm freaking out here. And then you're also pulling from your hope for the future. And you're saying, the Lord has heard my prayer and he will answer me. The Lord will fight my battles and give me victory. He will rescue me. So when you take God's past promises and the hope of the future and you bring them together into the middle of your present circumstances of sadness, that's powerful. That's like taking two hot wires and crossing them. You're going to get some spiritual sparks, and God's going to move. Now, there are some reasons that it's hard for us to lament like this, and I want to talk about that and what to do. And It's tempting for us to hold it all in when we're going through a Saturday season. So the first thing you need to know is you've got to give yourself permission to unload on God. You know when a husband and wife have been holding in all those frustrations they feel towards each other. And an argument starts with that initial just unloading. Every good marriage argument starts with unloading uh, emotions of frustration and disappointment or hurt. 
And a lot of times it's hard for us to unload on God that way because it can feel disrespectful to do so. You know what I'm talking about? John Knox was a minister in Scotland and he prayed a prayer of lament. Give me Scotland or I die. And in Psalms, he says, okay, God, you're my father. But essentially he says, it feels like you're an abusive father and you're beating me in your rage. And a lot of people would say, you know, like, whoa, that seems kind of disrespectful to talk to God like that. And there are many times I've struggled to pray prayers of lament because it felt disrespectful to me to talk to God that way. You know, I've seen over the years, many marriages unfortunately fall apart. And I don't actually get that worried about couples who are fighting a lot. Because, you know, at least they care enough to fight. <laughs> I really start to worry when they stop fighting. And the relationship just goes cold. Uh, if you talk to an emergency responder, they don't worry too much when they show up on the scene and someone's screaming in agony. They really worry when the person goes quiet. So think about crying out to God. What do you think would hurt him more? Accusing him or ignoring him? If you have to choose between holding back your emotions from God because you fear disrespecting him maybe, or letting out your emotions to God at the risk of disrespecting him, I'm telling you, he wants you to choose the latter. So as a parent, you understand, you've probably had hundreds of times, thousands, some of you who have teenagers, where your kid has disrespected you. And you kept loving him anyway, didn't you? You know, I've just got a little baby. The other, the other night, she's two and a half years old. She gets so tired by bedtime, she turns into a, a, a little rage monster version of herself. And we're tucking her into bed, and I, I lean down to give her a kiss on the forehead like I always do. And she hit me in the eye. And it hurt. But I could take it. And you better believe I came back and kissed her again the next night. Because I love her too much to stay away. God can handle it when you unload, but you can't handle holding back. You need to get it out. Just like Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. What did he say up there? Hanging on the cross in agony. He said, God is good. And everyone down below said, all the time. And Jesus said, all the time. And they said, God is good. No. He cried out referencing Psalm 22, which was another psalm of lament, and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. A prayer of lament. Prayers of lament are powerful because they're real and emotional. A lament is unleashing your bottle of emotional passion on God that you had stirring up inside of you. And, and you're stirring yourself up in lament to, to take hold of God and hold on. Because when you hold on in lament, you're holding on to the one person who can pull you from the pit or walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. You know when you cry out to God in lament, he's your father, and he loves you. He's good, and he can handle your problems. And even if you do say some silly things or some dumb things in your anguish, that's okay. Your father is just glad that you came to him. And what happens is as you hold on to God, 
you start to reinterpret your feelings in the reality of God. So here's the second thing. It's one thing to let out all that emotion that's been bubbling up to the surface. It's another thing to deal with the deep pain and trauma and heartbreak down below. So second thing is this. You've got to give yourself permission to grieve. It's hard to grieve, isn't it? It can be really hard at times. Trauma wounds us, and our natural instinct is to close our hearts up to protect the painful place. I know about a year and a half ago now, after my dad died and he went on to heaven, I didn't really want to, t- to deal with grief too much. It, it just, I think on some level, it felt like if I let myself visit a vulnerable place of hurt, it would compromise my strength in other areas. But actually, it's the opposite that's true. Holding back your grief is like trying to hold back an ocean with a man-made dam. You might hold it back for a little while, but only if the conditions are perfect. Eventually, when the storm comes, that dam will break, and your grief will come out in a destructive way. You know, it's common folk wisdom that when you get a wound, you need to let it breathe to heal. I was actually going to say that, but I looked it up, and it's not true. Uh, Turns out, medically speaking, wounds actually heal faster with moisture. Dryness prevents the wound from healing as fast as it could. And I was thinking, you know, your deep pain that you feel down in the depths of your heart, it also needs the moisture of tears shed in grief. In Psalm 6, it says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. And you got to remember, this is not some artsy-fartsy emo poet here from the big city. This is a country boy who killed a lion and a bear and a giant. And he's saying, I soaked my sheets. Not because I wet my bed, but I've been weeping with grief. And there are a lot of Christians who don't really believe that they're allowed to grieve. And you got to realize this, not only are you allowed to grieve, but it's godly to grieve. And not just the bad things that happened to you, but the good things that didn't happen to you. In John chapter 11, there's a story about Jesus who has a close friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus has some sisters, Mary and Martha. And and they come to Jesus, they tell him Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And Jesus intentionally waits two more days to let Lazarus die. And, and he comes finally and has an emotional reaction. And then he calls Lazarus out of the grave. And I want to help you have a prayer breakthrough today. This is going to blow your mind. Track with me here. Track with me. Is prayer in many ways talking to God? When you pray, you're talking to God, yes? Yes, okay. And is Jesus the son of God? Is Jesus God? Okay, yes. So what that means is every time in scripture you read about someone talking to Jesus, you actually are reading a recording of prayers that have been prayed to God. So you can see not only prayers that have been prayed directly to God, but also how God responds to those prayers. That's going to change the way you read the Gospels. So check this out. John chapter 11. It says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is a prayer of lament. 
It's even kind of accusing Jesus sub, sub, subtly, right? Like, if you had been here, like, where were you? Right? This is a prayer of lament. When Jesus saw her weeping and, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says, Jesus wept. And the word in Greek, wept, communicates sorrow and anger. So here we have Mary. She prayed a prayer of lament. And then we see that God lamented with her. You realize that the Lord cares about your grief. He is close to the brokenhearted. And he grieves with you when you grieve. Why? Because think about that. Like, Why did Jesus grieve knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead? Because Jesus was the one who created the world. He spoke the world into creation and formed it through his power. He created the world to be a perfect place where there wasn't supposed to be sorrow or sickness or death. He created a world where there is worship but no idolatry, sex but no lust, drink but no alcoholism, a place with no tears or death, a place where the Cardinals never lose and the Seahawks never win. And now he's standing in front of his friend's tomb and he's weeping and saying, it was never supposed to be this way. There were never supposed to be graves. There were never supposed to be funerals. We were never supposed to be separated from our friends and family members. We were supposed to have only birthdays and never funerals. And so the godly response to grief and the brokenness of this world is weeping and mourning. So you've got to give yourself permission to grieve the way that Jesus did. Grief is a difficult emotion. It can be painful to just embrace it. But it's also a helpful emotion because grief gives you the gift of healing. Healing. You'll still have the scars, but it is much better to have a scar than an open wound that bleeds. Right? A lot of people, they won't deal with grief. They just suppress it. They'll say, you know, they'll deny it. They'll say, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to choose joy, brother. And then that's not going to work. You've got to express it. You got to let it out. You got to mourn. You got to weep. You got to go to God and pray those prayers of lament and say, God, where were you? Because if you don't let it out, you'll act it out. When you don't grieve, what happens? You get stuck in that trauma and you'll spend the rest of your life reacting to something that happened a long time ago. So I want to give you a few words of encouragement how to help someone who's grieving. Because all of us have been in that place as well. And a lot of times you're like, well, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say when people I love are grieving. What should I do? First, never minimize someone's pain. You need to completely remove this phrase from your vocabulary. You need to lose the phrase, at least. At least you have two other children. At least you have another parent left. At least you still got your health. At least you can adopt or try again. Don't minimize their pain. Next, never rush people. You really should be over this by now. You don't get over grief, do you? You've got to get through it by lamenting with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. And so we don't choose joy instead of sadness. We choose joy in the midst of sadness. 
Grieving does not reflect an absence of faith. Even the Son of God, who was full of faith, grieved. And then this is important too. Don't teach, listen. When people are grieving, they don't need your answers. They just need your presence. They don't need your mouth, they need your ears. Some of us, it's tempting, especially for people like me, it's tempting to want to give them a Bible verse or teach them the theology that should help them to get through this. But there's a time for that, right? That's kind of like physical therapy. Uh, But first, they need to heal. And healing comes from grieving, so help them grieve. Help them grieve. Instead of saying, you know, well, maybe this is a blessing in disguise, you can try saying, you know, I can tell that person was a big blessing in your life. Will you tell me about them? And then if you're the one grieving, I want to help you grow through your grief. First, it's important that you connect to a life group. You need to be a part of a life group. We've got all kinds of great groups that help people through grief, groups for grief specifically, groups for divorce care. We've got regular life groups that are always there for each other, helping each other, bringing over meals, supporting each other. We've got Celebrate Recovery that helps people with grief. And so listen, here's the important message you need to hear from your pastor. As a church, it is our job to take care of you in your grief. And it is your job to put yourself in a position to be taken care of. We get up here and are like, hey, you need to be in a life group. And some of you are like, okay, cool, thanks. No. And then something bad happens in your life and you criticize the church and you say, no one even called me or helped me out. You didn't do your job. And so you made it impossible for us to do our job. You need to connect to a life group. And then the other thing is this. You've got to partner with God to leverage your loss. Job cried out to God for answers when he lost his family and his possessions. Like, why did you let this happen? And guess what? God never answered him. Job didn't know that 3,000 years later, people would still be encouraged through his story. In Romans 8, it says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God will use your hurt and your pain and your sorrow and your loss for good. If you love him and you partner with him to leverage that loss. God would use our story, me and Amy, some of you have heard this story of of infertility and struggling to have a child to bring in a beautiful daughter to our lives named Lila and encourage other couples to foster and adopt. Sometimes you just don't know how God is gonna bring good out of your loss. Right? Like sometimes you don't know what he's doing. Like, the, like when you're in high school and that girl rejects you and you're like, God, why? Where were you? And then you see the same girl 20 years later and you're like, oh, God was with me. <laughs> you know. You know. In 2 Corinthians it says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So who can minister better to someone in pain than someone who's also been through that pain? Guess who leads our grief groups? People who've lost family members. Guess who leads our Celebrate Recovery ministry? People who have struggled with addiction. Guess who leads our adoption ministry? Chosen. People who've adopted and fostered through difficult situations. Guess who leads our divorce care groups? People who've experienced the pain of divorce. So God really will take your misery and turn it into ministry if you partner with him. 
And the lamenting process, calling out to God in prayer, helps us work through our grief rather than be consumed by it. When you look at scripture and how God's people lament, it's so different than how the world grieves. Uh, You've probably heard before the five stages of grief. And I want you just to compare those to what happens when you read scriptures about God's people lamenting. And the five stages of grief, you know, the first stage is denial. Like, I just don't want to believe it. But the lamenter cries out to God and just bursts boldly into his presence and unloads all of his emotions on God and says, where were you? The second stage of grief is anger. And you meet a lot of angry people because they're hurting. But when you lament, you just unashamedly hold God to his word. You said you would protect me. You said you would provide for me. I'm waiting on you. The third stage of grief is bargaining. You know, God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll, I'll never smoke another cigarette again. But the lamenter tells God simply what you want and why. God, you've got to rescue me because I can't worship you anymore if you let me go into the grave. The fourth stage of grief is depression. For as the lamenter takes his sorrow to God and says, God, I'm heart sick. I'm sorrowful even unto death. The fifth stage of grief is acceptance. But the lamenter never stops asking and believing. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then here's the third thing. It's really easy to get stuck in your pain And that's when people experience depression. So that's why you have to always look towards your triumph. you got to look towards your triumph. Complaining just leads to bitterness, but biblical lamenting always leads back to faith. Like when you're learning how to drive, maybe you did this where you kind of look right in front of you at the road, and so you end up doing this thing back and forth the whole time, and and the person that's coaching you to drive says, you know, you got to look out towards the horizon, and when you just kind of look out ahead of you, your brain will just kind of automatically drive that direction. So it's good to grieve. We should grieve, but even as we work through our grief, we should keep our eyes on our future triumph, what's before us. When Lazarus died, Jesus said to his sister, right before he called Lazarus out of the grave, back from the dead, in John eleven forty, 40, Jesus said, didn't I tell you That you would see God's glory if you believe. That's what he's saying to you today. When you cry out to God in these prayers of lament that you know. You know like David. Like he said in Psalm 6-9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. Like Jesus said, you will see God's glory if you believe. So there's a famous set of books called Lord of the Rings. And you've probably seen the movies, maybe if you haven't read the books. They're awesome. I'm a little bit of a a nerd. I do read a lot of stories like that, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. (laughs) So there's a character in the book named Sam, and at the end of the book, right before the climactic conclusion where evil is defeated, Sam passes out and and goes unconscious. And and as he becomes unconscious, he passes out thinking that the mission had failed, that evil had conquered, that all his friends were dead. And then a little time goes by and he wakes up in a beautiful house in the middle of a feast Surrounded by all the people he loved who are still alive. And he finds out evil has been defeated and good 
has conquered. And so in the story, he leaps up in bed and he calls out and he asks this question, will everything sad come untrue? Will everything sad come untrue? And Christianity's answer to that question is yes. Everything sad will come untrue because someday in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will return and the dead in Christ shall be raised imperishable. And he who is seated on the throne will shout out in a loud voice, behold, I am making all things new. And he will wipe every tear from every eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall I be mourning or weeping or pain anymore for the former things shall have passed away. So we do grieve, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve with hope. There will come a day when our cries of grief and our prayers of lament will be drowned out by the trumpets of victory. And because of that, we can face east. This is really interesting if you maybe have paid attention to this. Every cemetery pretty much in the United States, pretty much every single cemetery, Tombstones and graves are laid out in a way so that the eyes of those who are buried are facing to the east. That's because of Christianity. And Christians know what scripture says is that when Jesus returns, he will descend to the Mount of Olives in Israel, in Jerusalem, which is east of the United States. So Christians are buried in a way so that their eyes are facing the return of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to face the eastern sky. We're awaiting the return of the resurrection of the dead. And that's something we got to remember to do in our lives on an ongoing basis. we got to face east. Even as we pray prayers of lament and grief, facing east is standing in the place of death and loss but setting your face towards the resurrection. And you might be grieving the baby that you lost, but when you hold the hand of Jesus in lament, you're holding the hand of the one who holds your child. Facing east is standing in front of a family member's grave and knowing your life is not defined by that occupied grave, but an empty grave, just a stone's throw from Golgotha. Facing east is saying goodbye to dreams and friends who you thought would always be with you, but knowing you're not alone because even as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you've got two friends named goodness and mercy who shall follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we grieve with hope and we face towards our triumph. We face east. Would you bow your heads with me? Aren't you grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus? And I pray today that if you are grieving and lamenting, you would go to the Lord boldly and take that pain to him. Give him the opportunity to heal that pain. Give him the opportunity to work in your life. Maybe you've been holding back because you didn't want to deal with that grief. You didn't want to go to a place of vulnerability and weakness. But in your weakness, Jesus is made strong in you. You can come to your father. And you can be real with your emotions. You can unload on him. That's exactly who you should unload to. And I pray as you pray these prayers of lament in the middle of those Saturday seasons, the Lord will strengthen you and bind you up, comfort you, and show you his love in a greater way. 
And then there could be some of you who are with us today who you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So you don't yet have the promise of hope for a future. It'll be better than what you face today. The truth is that good, all of our pain does work for good. But it's only true. It's only a promise for those who love Jesus. For those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So for the rest of the world, they deal with sadness and pain and death and loss, but they have no hope. And that's why they mourn the way they do. Christians who believe in Jesus have hope. So we mourn and we grieve and we lament with hope. So I think there could be people here today, people who are joining us online, who need to accept Jesus. Today is your day. The time for waiting is over. This is the hour of faith to put your trust in Jesus and accept him into your heart. So right now, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me wherever you're at. Just say to God yourself, say, God, I need you. And I ask you to forgive my sins. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead so that I could have eternal life and the future that you give me, a future of hope. I thank you, Lord, for loving me. And I ask you now to lead me from this day on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.